Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. During an evening church service, 38-year-old Steve Robards fell ill. He died later that night of a heart attack. One year later, while reading Hamlet, Steve Robard's daughter studied the lines of Claudius the King when he says the following about death, jealousy, guilt, and revenge. My words fly up. My thoughts remain below. Words without thoughts never to heaven go. In these words, a clue to her father's death. The cities of Dallas and Fort Worth, Texas. Locals call it the Metroplex. It's the largest consolidated metropolitan area in the state, known for the assassination of President John F. Kennedy in Dealey Plaza in 1963. 38-year-old Steve Robards was a Texas native recently divorced and worked as a mail carrier for the United States Postal Service. Very proud of his job which was just a rural route postman, but he liked his job. He liked being outdoors and felt some pride in it. His 16-year-old daughter Marie had recently moved in with him after a disagreement she had with her mother's new husband. So they were living in a one-bedroom apartment at this time, and he was on the list to get the next available larger apartment, and uh, he was very happy about having his daughter in his life at this point. Marie enrolled in Eastern Hills High School, where she was a popular straight-A student. Quiet, studious, elegant, the kind of girl that sort of you looked at twice and always wanted to get to know because she seemed so reserved. By all accounts, both father and daughter enjoyed living together, but their lives changed forever on the night of February 17, 1993. Just after dinner, Steve Robards attended an evening church service. When he returned home, he told his girlfriend and daughter he wasn't feeling well. After a little while, he started getting stomach cramps, severe stomach cramps, and they became more severe as the night progressed. After a few hours, ultimately, um, 911 was called, and he went into what appeared to be a, a coma-like state right there in the living room. He began to foam at the mouth and became nauseous. And by the time the ambulance guys got there, he was dead. An autopsy revealed the death was caused by cardiac arrest. And I didn't want to believe it. How could it be that bad? He was 38. How could it be, how could it be that serious? His heart was mildly enlarged. It was probably 25% too heavy for a man his age and size. And somewhat uncomfortably, I signed it out as a natural death. After Steve Robard's death, 
Marie went to live with her grandparents and transferred to Mansfield High School for a new start. So for one year, Marie lived the kind of perfect life every parent would hope their child would live. She was an excellent student. She never got in trouble. She always turned in her homework. Uh, She dated some, but she was never in any way regarded as a wild girl. After graduation, Marie used the $60,000 she received from her father's life insurance policy to attend the University of Texas. She majored in pre-med. Her dream was to become a pathologist. Midway through her freshman year, Marie learned that police were investigating her father's death. They questioned how a 38-year-old man could have died of a heart attack so young. It was, by all accounts, the perfect crime. After Steve Robard's unexpected death, his daughter Marie transferred to a new high school and made a new friend, Stacy High. I would have to say we were best friends. You know, we kind of fell in love with each other, you know, just, um, it was, we had so much in common. Stacy sees in Marie, she sees something in Marie. She sees through her in a way. She realizes that that poise and that perfection is disguising something. During senior year, Stacy and Marie were both required to read Shakespeare's Hamlet for English class. As they read the play together, Stacy happened to begin with Claudius's soliloquy in Act Three, in which Claudius agonizes over his decision to repent for killing Hamlet's father. My fault is past, but oh, what form of prayer! Forgive me my foul murder. That cannot be, since I am still possessed of those effects for which I did the murder. So Stacy reads the line and goes, isn't that cool, Marie, how that's written? And Marie's standing, frozen, and tears begin to stream down her face. She asked me, Stacy, do you think people can go through life without a conscience? And there was Stacy with her questions. You have a secret? Yes. You've done something? Yes. And, you know, Stacy's first question, oh, my God, you're, you're pregnant. pregnant. Marie went, no, it's worse. So after a while of guessing, I said, did you kill someone? She nodded her head, yes. And that's when Marie broke down and cried. I can't talk about this right now. Marie then admitted the unthinkable, that she murdered her own father. She said she did it with a poison she stole from her chemistry class a year earlier. Be very careful with this stuff. Marie said that she took the poison when the teacher's back was turned, placed it in a paper towel, and hid it in her backpack. One week later, while preparing dinner, Marie mixed it into her father's Mexican food, which concealed the taste of the poison. The poison she used mimicked the signs of a heart attack, and her father died a few hours later. The autopsy never detected the poison in his system. 
After the confession, Marie swore Stacy to secrecy. If the pledge was broken, Stacy knew her best friend would spend the rest of her life in prison. Stacy is tormented, however, by the secret she too is trying to keep. And she begins to have these nightmares. In one of these recurring nightmares, Stacy hears the voice of Marie's father calling from the grave. In another, Stacy sees Marie chasing her endlessly through the night. She begins to lose her ability to focus. She can't concentrate in school. Her grades go down. She begins to drink too much at high school parties. At one point, she asks her mother if she can check into a psychiatric hospital for adolescents. And no one can figure out what had happened to Stacy. It seemed like the classic meltdown. Stacy knew if she said anything, it would be her word against Marie's, since Steve Robard's death was ruled to be from natural causes. However, the pressure on Stacy High was too great. She told her mother, the school guidance counselor, and eventually the police. She finally had to confess. But Marie never would. And like Claudius, she seemed stuck, trapped in her own private hell. When Stacy Hyde told police that Steve Robards had been poisoned, the police searched the chemistry lab where his daughter Marie said she stole the poison that killed him. In the lab's safety manual, the page describing the chemical Marie allegedly used had been torn out. It also tells you what precautions you need to take when using the substance. It also tells you what to do in case it's swallowed or your eyes come in contact with it. If Marie used a poison to kill her father, why hadn't it shown up during the autopsy? It's not a normal procedure unless there's some indication that we need to do that. Uh, it's, it's, it's a test, testing that we don't do here at the facility and we have to send out for, and the investigation did not lead us to suspect anything of that nature at, at the time of the death. The chemical she used, the only way it could be detected is if the medical examiner in Fort Worth had a machine that cost $150,000 that could detect the trace of this chemical during an autopsy, which they didn't have and which they never even thought of using. The technology which can find rare chemicals in human tissue is called a mass spectrometer gas chromatograph. Since Marie planned to attend medical school and become a pathologist, prosecutors suspected she was familiar with the screening test used by the local medical examiner. She also knew which poison wouldn't be detected. Investigators hoped that Steve Robard's tissue samples were still in storage since his death 18 months earlier. The medical examiner's office was within days of destroying the tissue samples and the blood samples, um, as they do when there's, there's nothing amiss. They don't suspect foul play or homicide. 
The tissue samples were sent to an independent forensic laboratory in Pennsylvania, where they were analyzed with the mass spectrometer gas chromatograph. The poison they were looking for was a metallic substance and very rare. We will not reveal the name of the poison on this program. The gas chromatograph mass spectrometer directs a beam of electrons on the sample, breaking its component molecules apart for analysis. The results are charted on a graph. Each peak is a separate compound. The size of the peak is proportional to the amount present. The number is the exact time in minutes it took for the compound to travel through the column from the moment of its injection to detection. In Steve Robard's sample, scientists found a metallic compound with a retention time identical to the poison his daughter Marie admitted stealing from the chemistry lab. And the amount found in Steve Robard's body was massive, 28 times the lethal dose. With this news, Fort Worth homicide detective Thomas Bocher went to the University of Texas in Austin to see Marie Robards. She came out in the hallway and I introduced myself. I told her she was under arrest for the death of her father, Stephen Robards, uh, years earlier. She had no response. Uh, there was no reaction. And Marie quietly went with them, poised as ever, and once they got in that little room, they barely had to ask a question, and she confessed and broke down. And she was pretty forth forthcoming with information um, fairly quickly. She didn't try to hide. She apparently was uh, either guilt-ridden or had thought a lot about what she had done and came forward with the information. The most fascinating aspect for both the police and for journalists covering the case was Marie's explanation of her motive. What was it that made you want to kill your father? And she said... I wanted to be with my mom. But in an ironic twist, like something out of a Shakespearean tragedy, it was all in vain. Because Marie Robard's mother and her new husband were planning to move to Florida and didn't tell her until after her father's funeral. Marie had no choice but to move in with her grandparents so she could finish high school in Texas. And thus began this tale that in many ways is a kind of twisted modern parable of teenage girls in the suburbs. These girls that are have those mercurial emotions, but also many of whom are girls of divorce who are trying to grow up with parents who have split up and seem often preoccupied with rebuilding their own lives and forget about the needs of their own children. Despite her confession, Marie Robard surprised everyone by deciding to plead not guilty. She now said she hadn't planned to kill her father at all. In 1996, Marie Robards went on trial for the murder of her father, Steve. 
She pleaded not guilty. Her defense was that she had no intention of killing him. Marie admitted that she stole the poison from her high school chemistry lab. And she also admitted that she put the poison in her father's Mexican food. But she said she only planned to make him sick, not to kill him. Of course, that doesn't make that much sense. If he just got sick, she wouldn't get to go back with her mother. Prosecutors said Marie was a straight-A chemistry student and the amount of poison used was 28 times the lethal dose. Anybody who's going to go to a local medical school to study is probably, if they're a high school student, is probably above average as far as in the science um, department. And as a matter of fact, I mean, that was part of my investigation. I collected her grades and she had very high marks in school and in the sciences. They also pointed out that Marie stood by and watched her father die without saying a word to her father's girlfriend or the ambulance crew that tried to resuscitate him. Eighteen months later, the gas chromatography found what the first autopsy did not, that Steve Robards had died of a massive dose of poison. The prosecution presented Marie Robard's signed confession as evidence. Did you know that this stuff is dangerous? Yes or no? Yes, sir. How did you know that? Because my chemistry teacher said it. Said what? That it was dangerous. Stacy testified that Marie told her that she always knew that enough of that chemical would have killed her father. And that was this defining moment, that her best friend admitted that Marie had the knowledge about what that poison would do. The forensic evidence, the confession, and the testimony of her own best friend all worked against her. The prosecutor in the case called her a relentless predator. Another prosecutor called her society's worst nightmare, a girl who kills her dad. Uh, But some people saw her as a kind of Lizzie Borden of Texas. This sweet, charming, successful, industrious young girl who suddenly did something inexplicable. And in this surprising twist, at least for me, I began to sense a sympathy developing for her because in many ways, she was the symbol of what modern divorce has done to our society. On May 9th, 1996, it took the jury less than an hour to find Marie Robards guilty of murder. She was sentenced to 27 years in prison. I don't know what we do about it, but they are kids. They don't think exactly like adults. That doesn't mean you can, you know, they can get by with something like this with a slap on the wrist, but 27 years seems a little excessive to me. What she had done was commit the perfect crime. It was, by all accounts, the perfect crime. Had Dorothy Marie not uh, mentioned it to a friend, she probably would have gotten away with it. I mean, almost certainly would have gotten away with it. Marie has never spoken 
about what's happened since. What is known is that Marie is the model prisoner at this women's unit in East Texas, where she's going to be staying for several more years. That she has never complained, that she always volunteers for the worst chores, that one day a psychologist went to see her and she was wearing this paper-thin prison garb and a cold front had come through Texas and she was shivering. And the psychologist said, why don't you ask for something warmer? She said, I don't deserve to. She shrugged, she smiled, and she said, I'll be okay. 